This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on wellness, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. Hi, I'm Rachel. I steal good pens from restaurants. I once created a horror dance group, and whiskey makes me kind of an asshole. Hello, I'm Janelle. I'm a connector, a Bachelor superfan, and my personality is comparable to a house cat on catnip. Hi, I'm Christy. At one time, I wanted to be a country music singer. I love old films, and my first celebrity crush was Judy Garland. We are your hosts of the True North Collective podcast. you but don't fucking touch me and and then on catnip they're all goofy and fun it's essentially saying like you're a stone cold killer but you like you got a goofy side i had no idea that that made that that's what catnip was like a drug yeah haven't you ever watched a cat like they get real goofy no. catnip? very allergic um, to cats man okay here <laughs> i like it it's super weird i mean i'm catnip i'm catnip <laughs> We should never record on Fridays ever again. <laughs> I considered just drinking like a half a bottle I know. of wine in the morning, but I was like, mm, it's not. <laughs> All right. So how we're going to start this out then, if everyone's ready, is... Janelle, yes. when did you start getting an accent? What you just said, <laughs> what the hell? You haven't... I like... Out. <laughs> Okay, so this is a thing in my life now where apparently I have a Canadian accent and everyone at work asks me if I'm Canadian and I don't know, have I I not always had this? No, that is not how you normally sound. Well, apparently I say my outs and abouts like a Canadian now, which... (laughs) How does that even happen? I really am confused. (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of into it because it's so weird, but, you know. <laughs> I, like, I really don't know if this is something I acquired then because literally people ask me that all the time here and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I'm like, I don't even hang out with people from Canada. No. <laughs> I, yeah, I've literally never heard you say it that way before I think maybe today. it's getting worse. It's like getting worse now. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. But yes, okay. I'm... Little known fact at work: everyone thinks I'm Canadian. I literally, I'm a, so Christy. I don't know if you know this, but if we talked about this, I'm a trainer, so I spend all day speaking in front of people, and almost every single class I teach now, everyone's like, "Are you from Canada?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not from Canada." <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, How did you just say that you are? Watching a I... Canadian TV show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even think so. Although. My favorite contestant on The Bachelor is Canadian. Oh, I see. That's what there it is. That's my only connection. That's all I got. She knew the whole time. She just didn't want to admit to it. Yeah. <laughs> I do listen to her podcast a lot. Oh, my God. So Janelle's obsessed with the worst TV ever. Nice. But The Bachelor, I mean, and so then she was like, are you watching The Bachelor this season? And I was like, no. 
And then I was like, uh, all right. I started watching it. I started binge watching it. But then I'm a life and soul coach. And so I like life coach the TV. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So this is what needs to happen. And I'll, then I'll Marco, do you use Marco Polo, Christy? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's the best thing ever invented. It's an app where you can do like video chats with people, but not in real time. So like when I wake up in the morning, I get in my car and I have a 20 minute commute to work and I just leave, I just send messages to Janelle that are like the dumbest shit ever. And then she can respond to me when she wants to video. They're the best. Yeah, I guess. But anyway, so I would just tell her like all of these things about The Bachelor and like, and she's like, you're literally life coaching the show. And I was like, yeah, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. It's just like amazing though. It's, I'm like, this this needs to be a fan. Like you need to go on that show like and have your own segment. Dude, I would be Chris's right hand man in two seconds. That's what I'm saying. Forget, I mean, I love Chris Harrison, but. For the contestant, because that would take away from the drama, I think. It is true. They'd be like. Like a like a mystery science theater. <gasps> yes. Life life coach perspective. There's your oh. new YouTube show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. super into it. Yeah, I'm really into that. Nice, nice. So Christy, back to your intro. A country yeah. music singer? <laughs> huh? A country, country music? music singer, yeah. Can yeah, you I, sing? I could ta- I wanted it so bad I could taste it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen. Can you sing? Um, my dad says I can. I don't know if that's like ac- an accurate representation. Okay, well, we but... might have to invite you back on because Janelle and I are not good singers, but we sing to each other sometimes and decided that we were going to maybe do a singing contest because it would be so terrible and then oh. you could win. Yeah, I could. I would totally be down to doing that. I'm kind of a karaoke whore. Ooh. <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, Pat Benatar. Ooh, oh, good. <laughs> I did Heartbreaker at the last uh, film festival I was at oh in Arizona. God. It was wonderful. Okay, you're legit good. <laughs> I'm. Why mine... was it? There's videos somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> mine is uh, Africa by Toto. Nice. Yeah, it's really good, but the, I run out of breath like halfway through the main like thing, and so it's very awkward. And I've been practicing my whole life. And every single time I run out of breath, I can't. It's just I'm too small or something. I don't know. <laughs> Still have no lung capacity. No lung capacity. I'm gonna just plant the seed that maybe by the end of the podcast we just do it. <gasps> That's what we're gonna do. I mean, Christy, no pressure. I know this is like <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We're gonna <laughs> sing, but I mean, sure. You didn't really sign up for that, but we'll, we'll I see mean, how sure. it goes. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, I mean. Well, I haven't, I didn't get to like prepare myself. Oh, me neither. <laughs> no, warm-ups. <laughs> no, oh, I'm totally down. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Are you, are you writing the level, the, the volume levels? Oh, I'll fix it all. I'm excellent in garage band. <laughs> all right. All right. By the time I'm done with you, you'll sound like Jason Derulo. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Oh my God. We are so lucky uh, right now. Oh, well, you know, I think this, like, counts as uh, our intro. Yes, I agree. I agree. (laughs) I normally do banter, and I think this definitely, (laughs) definitely counts. So before we get any further, though, let's at least formally introduce you, other than your fun facts. Today on the podcast, we are welcoming Christy Kano-Chala. She is a director that lives in Los Angeles, 
Known for her romantic screwball comedy, Once Upon a Zipper, her award-winning dramatic short, August in the City, and she's currently in post-production with her feature, Forever Not Maybe. Through her love of old films, Christy knew at a young age she wanted to make movies and create stories that would affect people at the core of their hearts. I just love that statement, and we're going to dive deeper into that. But welcome to the True North Collective Podcast, Christy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I'm already having fun. Yay. We don't take ourselves too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Friday? I was was so convinced yesterday that it was Tuesday. Mm. That the day, uh, yeah, it's uh, the struggle is real Mm -hmm. in the freelance world. Yeah, I get it. I'm right there with you. Sometimes I it's yeah. Sunday and then I'm like, oh, it's for sure Tuesday or Wednesday or I don't even know. It's, it's kind of nice though because I never have Sunday sadness anymore. No, that that has not been a thing in my life for quite some time, thankfully. It's very Happy. nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're winning then when Fridays don't mean as much and Sundays also mean as much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sundays just mean wonderful. There's just something about Sunday that feels good. I don't I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I just gave you a little formal introduction. Thank you. But let us know a little bit about you. How did you get here? What are you currently up to? Oh my gosh, these are all loaded questions. It's been a journey, guys. It's been a journey. Um, <laughs> So I am um, born and raised in Orlando, Florida, hence the love of country music. There's more country music stations down there than anything else. What? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, huh. it's a wonderful, it's, I mean, Florida has its things. I, I loved the uh, Florida man thing going around because it's so crazy, but it's so true when you watch the news down there. It's like mm-hmm. the craziest thing. Um, so <laughs> I started my journey in Orlando, Florida, um, and then I went to film school and uh, found myself working uh, in concert production at the House of Blues up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which was really exciting. Um, and then shortly after that, that was back in the dark ages, uh, shortly after that, came over here to, well, I moved to San Diego originally, uh, worked at the House of Blues down there. And then in, I get really confused of when I moved to LA. It was either 2009 or 2010 because I was still um, uh, cause I was still kind of living in San Diego while I was starting to move to L.A., um, but moved up here uh, in like 2009, 2010 to just officially try to get into the film industry, um, and then in 2012, I met the godsend of a human, one of my best friends, Casey, um, and she uh, k- just came up to me and said, hey, let's make a movie. And we ended up making Once Upon a Zipper together, mm-hmm. uh, which was my first short. And it was, I, you know, I grew up loving Sandra Bullock type romantic comedies. Um, so I made one for the lesbian population mm-hmm. and it did pretty well. And then I uh, met a woman named Lisa Tedesco uh, through our mutual friend, Mandala Rose, who is an actor, an incredible actor, who's the lead of my feature film. Um, and from there, we hit it off, and we made August in the City, which has done so well on the festival circuit. I'm so proud of um, how well it's doing for the past two years has been out. Um, and from there, I've just been hanging out in L.A., trying to learn as much as I can about directing and working in support of other women filmmakers and women directors uh, to try to move forward together and make a better world for ourselves in the industry. 
Ugh, I love that. I love so much about what you, how like every step of your journey, you're still about um, bringing people together versus trying to like, I mean, you're still carving out like a niche and like making sure that there's a conversation around uh, specific audiences that maybe don't have a lot of exposure. And yet with that, it's like, it feels so inclusive and like, we're, let's all come along and do this together. And you know, no matter where I'm at in this process, I can still give back, whether I'm big, whether I'm small, whether I'm in between, whether I'm going from big to small and back to big, you know, and I just love that about you. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that because it's, it's really amazing to have somebody doing big things who like innately is that way. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. It is, I mean, I, I haven't been impervious to the, uh, I guess, the bad habits that I, I, it's hard to say the source of where all of this competitive nature comes from. Mm-hmm. I was at a film festival um, in, it was the Female Filmmakers Fuse, it's a, it's a tongue twister, yeah. the Female Filmmakers Fuse Film Festival, uh, which was an incredible festival at that, they had, um, they had their, it was out in Pasadena. And I happened to run in a fellow member of the Alliance of Women Directors, which is a uh, organization that I'm just so, so grateful to be a part of. Um, And we were talking about the same topic and she just said it so simply. She was like, there's enough cake. We can all have cake. Like we don't. We don't need to battle each other. Like there's enough for all of us. And and the moment that I really embraced that uh, was really the moment that I became happier and you know uh, doing more meaningful things and finding more meaningful collaborations. And then it just seemed so silly that in my past there I've been in situations where where uh, it has been so competitive that people will do the worst things to so that you don't so that you don't get ahead uh, because of whatever wherever that fear comes from I think is what it is yeah. uh, the fear of rejection or the fear of uh, being left behind or whatever and if you really just like set that fear aside and realize that we're all in it together then the whole world changes yeah did you feel like you were seeking out these because it seems like along your journey these like um fairy godmothers like showed up out of nowhere but I'm sure that's not or I don't know maybe that is how it was how talk talk to me about that (laughs) Well, Casey was definitely a fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. Um, she just and and I think we met each other at a time where we both needed uh, like something more for, in a friendship. Um, and she was one of the first people that I met when I moved to LA. And at the time, to to kind of quell the uh, transition. I was working at this little coffee shop, Tanner's Coffee, um, and I met, she was one of my customers, and we just became friends, and I, I just feel like every step of the way, she's had my back, mm. um, and so definitely Casey was a fairy godmother, and still helps me, you know, she'll drop anything if I if I have a problem, uh, which is which is an amaz- amazing to have, and then Lisa, at, Lisa also feels like a fairy godmother as well, but I feel like we're just such great working partners together, and, and I just produced a short film that she directed so she produced August in the city mm-hmm. and I directed and then this December it was it was her turn she it was her her directorial debut with a with a budget like her entrance into my life feels really magical but I feel like talking to her every day we're just you know these 
these people, like she's just someone that I go to for, for creative advice or anything. And that just feels like a really wonderful friendship. Yeah. <laughs> a really it's, hard time. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because I feel that way about Janelle. And like, we talk about this all the time about how <laughs> like we are like, how did we find each other? We're very different, but we're also, there's similarities, but and I wasn't necessarily seeking anyone like that. I don't think you were either. It was almost like, I think what what worked is that we were both open to connecting, to the connection and like seeing where it went. But like, I for sure wouldn't be doing all the big things that I'm up to if I didn't have your badassery right next to me, Janelle, you know? And that's, I think it's just really interesting. I've been like, how do, you know, is it something that we manifest? Is it something that we, you know, attract? I don't know. And maybe it's a little bit of all of it, but I for sure feel like there was an openness in me for something different and an openness to just connect with people and see where it went without it needing to be anything. And then it became something awesome. I absolutely think that that it's man, uh, manifestation. And when you and I mean, please chime in because this is I feel like this is more your what you do for uh, for a living. Um, but I feel like when I'm most in need of something very particular, my eyes are more open to that. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I, and then your eyes being open and looking up and, and speaking out and saying this is this is what I need from this, you know, this time in my life. And usually it's already there around you all the time. Yep. It's just a matter of you like listening to it. Yeah. And being willing to show up. So it's like, oh, not just, oh, yeah, like being willing to be like, okay, I am going to say yes to this thing, even though mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if I can do any of it. So yeah, yeah. totally. I love that courage piece. Well, and Rachel and I just had a conversation we talked about adult friendships and how, I, a lot of times we can be so weird about them. That was one of our first episodes of this season. And part of that, Rachel, for you and I was we had, yes, we knew each other from work, but also being, I think, bold enough and not having that fear to just go up to the other person and be like, hey, I think you're cool. Every conversation we've had together, I really enjoyed. Like, what else can we do here? And like you said, not necessarily needing there to be an outcome, but just opening that door and not being afraid to open that door, I think is what really kicked it off. And then from there, it was just sort of that snowball effect of it building and building and both of us just being open. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Mm-hmm. It's cool. The feeling. Feelings like mutual, Rachel. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> we're like we are con- we're constantly just like puffing each other up. It's just so yeah, it's, it's awesome. That is exactly what we need. And we I you know, the thing that I always think about is kind of this idea of success and what success means and, and what advancement means and, and it really is like where you are and and what you bring into your life at that moment. But it's just it doesn't mean anything without that support. Yeah. Uh, without that without that core group or person or someone standing behind you cheering and I know that that's that's also something that's a big topic of conversation of of uh, you know uh, for instance in, in in my business I mean di- directing is such a competitive profession um, and so 
we all here in LA, there's now all these programs and things that women um, can apply for to, to try to get ahead and try to get, you know, get spots that we traditionally would, would not be offered um, in the past. And we're still, we're still fighting that battle. Uh, but just the rewiring your brain so that when you are, you know, you're up for the something at some Warner Brothers thing in com- and then your, co- your colleague is also, you know that they've also applied for the same thing, cheering for your colleague when they get it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's something that's, that's <laughs> unfortunately doesn't necessarily come natural to us going back to that competitive nature, but it's the thing that makes the difference is that when you stand behind them, then, then when they, when they take their steps, then they're going to look back and see the people that were cheering them on. And I think that that's a powerful, um, a powerful thing. Yeah. And what's interesting about what you're saying too, is, you know, just like, I'm friends with a lot of people here who are in theater and who are creating spaces for new um, communities to come together and create safe spaces for um, creativity and exploration of their creativity. And just as important as it is to see new stereotypes, or I don't want to even see stereotypes, new diversity within the world um, of entertainment and creativity, it's also important as humans to see different modeling than we've always seen. And that's what I call it modeling. So like, you know, we're so used to seeing you don't clap or, you know, we were raised like you got to have that edge or whatever it is. But then to see somebody else do it differently, I feel like in my profession as a, as a coach, I allow people to experience a different way of navigating through something. And then they're like, Oh, I didn't even know that that could be a thing. And so you're creating it in your entertainment and in your actual life, you're modeling a different behavior for people to go, oh shit, I didn't know that that was even an option. And now I want to cheer. Like, look how much fun Chrissy's having over there. Like, I I want to do that instead of just like being pissy or whatever. I I mean, I can only imagine what that would be like. So, you know, we only get to live once and it, it just seems so counterproductive to walk around being upset about everything all the time. And this is something that I really, you know, that I really um, think about daily is the, this idea of happiness and, and what that means. And there's there's these messages on social media about aligning and about living the simple life and like what is the right, what is the right way to to find that source of happiness and and really it's self-awareness it is really important and I and I often think about this idea of what happiness is and I, I know that that's something that we all we all think about there's there's nothing in the the massive competitive nature and the massive like all of these things that we were taught none of that has really led to my I know my personal happiness no but <laughs> I mean what's so cool is um like, I think that's why it's so funny that how we met is uh, Instagram. I swear to God, I just like so much. I don't love social media, but then it's like, I do love it for so many things. Like it's, it serves such a beautiful purpose. Like the fact that I get to have this conversation with you because of Instagram is so cool. And following what you like your voice on there is the reason that I was like, she's supposed to be on here. I know I don't know her, but she's supposed to be on here because like that self-awareness, that 
you only live once, that idea of like, I'm just going to go out there and do it is like the essence of what I think all of us are trying to wrap our, our heads around. And I think not being able to find a clear articulation of it makes a ton of sense because it is elusive and it does change from moment to moment. And yet the, you're staying in the essence of it and you're allowing yourself to be connected to you and showing up from that place. So it's like me, I'm going to be me and I would like to you know, drive towards happiness while still being where I am. And that kind of dance, I think, gets you in the space of being able to experience a pretty cool life. And that's how that's how I experience you from a digital standpoint and now um, through the, the microphone. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I think that we all have these battles with the way that the, what we were taught, we were how we were supposed to be mm-hmm. and the, the sources we were supposed to gain happiness from. And I feel daily, uh, you know, when I'm meditating or when I'm walking or whatever I'm doing, that that's the thing that I have to shake off more than anything else. Mm. Because I have, you know, I have the same worries as everyone else about money and if I'm going to have another job and if I'm going to make another movie and if, you know, I should have been a country music singer (laughs) instead. um, When I have a very social uh, day, like it's it's hard for me to let go of that part of my personality. Mm. So I was kind of taking a walk today and just reading, reading books and doing all that um, and just realizing that this is exactly where I wanted to be. Like when I was when I was thinking about what my my dream life would be, I'm doing exactly that. But it gets so clouded sometimes in like these these societal pressures or societal norms or these things that we were taught that we need to like, you know, work in a cubicle and do all these things. And you have you have to work for a business for X amount of years and then get your retirement and then have fun. Like that's that's very much how I grew the the ideals that I grew up with. And breaking from that is is a really important part of I feel like it's an important part of every day of my life, because until you break through what uh, the idea of who you think other people thought you should be. It's so mm-hmm. stupid. Other people mm-hmm. thought you should be. Mm-hmm. That's the only time you can find that true, like genuine nugget of who you are and what you want. And what and, and that's when I t- can test my own temperature of how I feel about where my life has taken me. Yeah. And a great reminder that even when you're like looking at, oh, my gosh, I'm living my dream life and there's more and I'm always going to be freaking human, which means that I'm going to have all all of it, all of it, all the time. <laughs> Well, like you said, Rachel, like happiness is such a moving target too. And it, it's hard. Like even when you have what you want, like I think actually based off of conversations that Rachel, you and I have had and Christy, just hearing you say that now, there have been points in our life, for example, when I was running the fitness studio. And if you asked me at any point, what my dream was, it was to run and own a fitness studio and I was doing it. But then in the moment it is, it's so easy to lose your happiness and forget to just be in that moment because of the worries and the concerns or Christy to your point I had very similar paradigms when it came to having a safe job working up and saving for retirement and when you let that cloud your judgment it is harder to see happiness and then even when you are happy all of a sudden you change or you learn something new and all of a sudden what used to make you happy doesn't necessarily make us happy anymore because we're growing because we're changing and and it's the constant checking in. And I think you said self awareness that we need to have in order to also maintain our happiness. 
I also don't think that it being a moving target is necessarily a terrible thing, the, the, the different ways that you find happiness. I mean, when I was, uh, my dad will tell you, I think I must have been 14 or 15 years old. We used to go to the country music uh, music festival in Nashville every year. And there was one year we were sitting in the bleachers and I just and Sarah Evans came out on stage and I just looked at my dad and I said, I'm going to work in the music industry. This is, uh, this is after I was done being, wanting to be a country music singer. But I was like, I'm going to work I'm going to work in the music industry. And then at, you know, at the age of 23, I attained all my goals. And then it was like, okay, well, now I'm becoming less happy. So yeah. what's the next step? And what's the next goal that I'm going to try to that I'm going to try to get to that's going to give me the fulfillment that I got when I started um, this part of my this part of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's hard, hard, isn't it? Like when you you're like, I'm 23. And I'm done what I set out to do. Like, <laughs> crap. I, I good for me. But crap. Yeah, I spent a lot of years not changing one thing that I did. And it wasn't until it wasn't until I started hanging out with a friend of mine in San Diego. Her name is Bianca. And she really was like that that go girl support where she, you know, I could come up with the weirdest things. And I was like doing photo shoots. I, I did a photo shoot, a, a friend of ours, um, and it was like based on Tropic of Cancer. Uh, but it was a woman. And I, I mean, I would just say I want to do these really crazy things. And she was right behind me. And it was it was that support that I think really um, what got me to realize that what I should be doing is exactly what I have been wanting to do. It's those steps and that support that really that really changed, moved that target for me. But it, it did take quite a few years of, of trying to figure it out and getting back to the core and, and, and figuring out that um, you know, it was, it was just like a light bulb, like, duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> duh. I've been writing, I, I used to write scripts when I was like a kid, writing fan fiction scripts for a TV show called Homefront. Like, by the way, I'm a total nerd. So I hope that. Uh, like, that's okay. We are too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I, lo- I love the call it to what you did when you're young though, because there's, there is this weird period where, especially in your early twenties, where we feel like we have to have it all figured out, but we really don't have to, but yet we probably actually know what we used to like doing or what we've always kind of liked doing as a kid, but then somehow we just let that go and we're like, oh, well, we can't do that. We can't do what we did as a child, as an adult. That's weird. No, I'm an adult now. And and it's almost rediscovering yourself and remembering too, like what, what you like to do and what you connected with, what you're naturally good at. And somehow we make it so hard, even though it is kind of hard, but it shouldn't be. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And and it's really interesting because I go through, you know, I go through my days really, really fighting to um, get to the next step of uh, my directing career. And had I just, you know, had the dream as, you know, in my teenage years, if I just had the dream and gone for the dream that I had intended from the beginning without all these thoughts that you can't do it, look, you're going to go to LA, like, you know, that everything feels against you when you're younger. But had I just started at that time, I would have been making movies like Baz Luhrmann right now. Mm. So it just, it, if, if there's any message that I want to, and, and I know this is actually one of the, one of the questions that we talked about, I'll just segue right into it. One of the messages that I wish that I had told my younger self is to just go for it. Mm-hmm. It's just you want to be a director, you want to be a writer director. Don't waste time like going and working these safe 
quote unquote safe jobs, which now after, you know, after the recession are not necessarily the most safe jobs, don't hide in this harbor of the idea of, of safety and being an accountant when you're a director. You need to go 100% into that and be a director and you're and figure out what it is and the steps that you need to take in order to get to that goal and defining that goal. But at the, but then at the same time, like when I was writing fan fiction for Homefront, like I didn't have the self awareness or the ability to understand that power. Mm-hmm. So on, it, I can't get too frustrated at myself. But I but it, I do wish that I would have just started then. Yeah. Well, and you never know. Like looking back, it's like I think Steve Jobs said it in one of his speeches. Like looking back, all the dots that seem like massive wrong turns the dots all connect and so who knows maybe you know looking back on your life it that space was perfect for you and it'll make sense down the road um and at the same time like absolutely going for it I am leading this group through the artist way um by Julia Cameron I don't know if either of you guys know it but um in it she speaks to what makes an artist and it's not talent she says it's audacity and that hits so home for me in what you're saying and how I now live my life in my 30s (laughs) where I'm like I too am like why didn't I just start doing this shit in my like I I'm I'm a baller I'm a badass like I I totally could have and I just didn't it's because I, I did it now um but a lot of times when I even now get like oh this is out of my wheelhouse what am I thinking I'll be like all I need is audacity. I, like the talent is there. That's why the desire is there. Trust that it's going to become what it's going to become and just have the, the grit to step out there and do it. So yeah. I think it's interesting. And the moment you step out there with that realization and your eyes open, that person like Janelle is going to come into your life and then it's Totally. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It is fun. It, it is. And I think we – we underestimate ourselves so much like that audacity because the second you commit to it, people believe it. If you walk out there and you're like, I'm a motherfucking podcaster mm-hmm. and I own this shit, like then you're a motherfucking podcaster and you own this shit. I mean, that's literally all it needs. And the same thing, like you're like, I'm a director. Yeah, I'm going to rock this. And it it's always, I think we forget how powerful our thoughts are. And how we think can really play into how our life is acted out. Because if you don't have that audacity, if you don't think that, well, no one else is going to think it for you. So you truly have to have that grit, that resilience, and that bravery just to be like, no, I'm on it. This is it. I'm doing it. And that is truly yeah, when the right people show up and when things start to happen. Mm-hmm. I yeah, also a great word. Yeah. I also love what you said, Christy, about like having kind of this BHAG, this like big thing to go after and yet not stopping along the way if it didn't look exactly that way. Like that big thing gave you something to work towards and you knew that every step you were taking, that was your why or whatever you want to call it. And and so along the way, you kind of took on these other things with the ultimate intention of like, this is getting me here. It's such a good like compass point for what you will put time into and what you won't because you know what you're ultimately working towards that is big enough to kind of get you through, 
you know, not just like a month, but a good chunk of time to really make the impression you want to make on your own life and then for the world. So I, I think it's a cool call out. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, I, I don't want to say a struggle. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's less than a struggle. It's a learning journey. I would love to hear a little bit more about your work. We talked, yeah, yeah. we talked like, a little bit about it. We teased it, but like, I want to know, like, what's the background? What's the inspiration? Like, how do you, like, all of a sudden you're like, I'm a director, I have a movie. And it's definitely, there's a lot in between that, but what, what happens in between that? What happens? At, well, okay. So the Once Upon a Zipper was my first short film that had full funding. Um, mm. But I had others before that, and I've had others after that are not, that I don't necessarily reference because there's a, a certain amount of practicing that you have as a director. So I did a, I did a short film in when I lived in San Diego, which uh, it's called Searching for Jenny Lewis. It might be, I think one more lesbian picks it up. And I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not good, but watch it. Yeah, <laughs> um, learn somewhere. We got to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it meant well. It was, um, it was, it kind of, and I have similar themes, but this, this one was about um, a woman who was obsessed with musical artist Jenny Lewis, who is one of my favorites. She has a new album out. Basically, she, no one is good enough for her. And she, but she, she's like, waiting for Jenny Lewis. She's waiting for this je ne sais quoi to mm. just uh, come to her. Um, and then she actually meets Jenny Lewis, which Jenny Lewis was not in the short film. But she actually, we allude that she meets Jenny Lewis <laughs> and Jenny herself still isn't good enough because she is is creating something that doesn't exist and, and basing her entire life off these things that don't exist. Um, so I really like the concept behind it. But Once Upon a Zipper, the lesbian, lesbian films are a genre. And some people are very surprised by this. I don't know why. For a really long time, we were making the same films over and over again. I think this is very prevalent in the 90s. Um, it was a lot of, you know, just straight up romantic comedies. And usually, and I ha okay, I have a, this is going to go on several different tangents because I have such an interest in the history of lesbian cinema oh, that cool. this will go on that as well. Um, but I think in the 90s when it was really, it was so difficult for lesbians to make movies and for people to see the movies that they did make. Um, so the, the stories that were out there were really, I think, indicative of what they were going through. And they were primarily like, you know, they fell in love with their best, their straight best friend or a woman was getting married and she fell in love with another woman and, you know, ended up ending, ending the engagement. Um, the, there's this weird like teacher student thing that was happening for a while. Once Upon a Zipper was really in response to that. Um, and because we were watching the same movies over and over again up until about 2011. So I made it with all these really lovely inside jokes. Oh, Casey just texted me. Hi, Casey. She knows I'm uh, talking about Once Upon a Zipper. Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> To the lesbian audience, there's it, I really loved seeing their comments because a lot of them really dig out these inside jokes. And I was kind of I had asked Shamim um, Sharif if I could if I could borrow the, the cover and some some lines from from her movie I Can't Think Straight. And when the lesbians they will go all the characters are na they, their names are characters in other movies. Mm. And so there are so, there are a lot of people that will just be like oh my gosh I see Lost and Delirious I see this movie I see that movie so mm. so. So for those people, it was kind of a comment on how we keep watching the same movie and over again. And then there are the people who want me to make a feature of it. And I'm like, no, go watch Imagine Me and You. This is the same movie. <laughs> uh, 
Piper Parabo in it. So Once Upon a Zipper was that, and then I had made it so that when if you don't if you're not familiar with the with the genre, that you could just watch it as a really enjoyable uh, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. So it, that one was really inspiring, just because I I, you know, I grew up loving. Sandra Bullock movies and romantic comedy so it was really fun to kind of make make that and and it, it was a really rewarding experience um so I go to Alfest every year I've been going um since I think 2008 and um I met Mandala Rose uh who is the lead role in a film called All About E she's an Australian actor and you know at the time I was trying to figure out I'd only had the one short film um really and I was like you know what I'm gonna make a web series and I need like a, I need a we call it a celesbian a celebrity lesbian <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, I need a lesbian. So it was all about you. Was Mandala's first film, uh, first feature film. She has, she, I mean, she has an incredible body of work uh, in shorts and web series. I encourage you to look her up. So I met her at Alfest, and then I was kind of c- trying to figure things out. And I was like, oh. I should ask Mandala. Like, I should get her, and she's going to be great. I should get her in my project. We kind of negotiated. She came out to L.A., put a lot of faith and trust in me as a director. Um, She came all the way from Adelaide, Australia. She's still here. She doesn't want to leave. Um, She's here on, she's still here on Visa with um for other projects that she's on. That's really when Forever Not Maybe started, which is my feature film. And we started that process in December of, we started shooting in December of 2015. Um, And I'm still, and I'm just finishing it now because it was, we had shot for five days and then we crowdfunded and we shot for five more days. And then um, just, you know, the post-production process was was quite long. And in the middle of kind of doing that, uh, we, Mandala and I went to New York for a screening of All About E and that's where uh, we both met Lisa in real life and then Lisa was the one that kind of brought us to August in the city it was something that she had written based on a based on a, um, a short story that her mom had written and it was something that meant a lot to her uh, so it was really rewarding to for Lisa to entrust me with you know working with her on this and I hope that you can see August in the city somewhere streaming soon when whenever these festivals um, stop requesting it I, I, that was such a humble brag right there. <laughs> no, bring it up. Own it. Yeah. So but it, was, it was such a special film. So. Yeah. So how, okay, this is a, such a naive question. How huh? do the films show up at the festivals? Obviously you submit them all and then they're like each city's directors choose which ones they feel should be shown. So every festival has kind of a jury of programmers. Okay. So you're sending, you're submitting your film to a bunch of people who they all sit around and they watch your film and they, I don't know the process of how they grade the films. Yeah. I, I, they, Don, I, I know they like look at picture quality and audio quality and all these other things. Um, but they, and then if, if someone likes your film, advocates for your film, then it, I, from what I understand, it kind of goes around in the circle, and then they decide whether or not they want it in ultimately in the in the festival. But it is uh, festivals are kind of a uh, it, it's definitely a job to, uh, to figure out your festival path because there are so many, and you really it goes back to having to really set your goals of what you want from the festivals. So there's you know there's the local festivals that maybe you're not going to get the Oscar qualifying nod for it or whatever, but you're going to be right there with your community and mm. sitting side by side probably at a sold out screening or you can go to what I like to go to are the festivals that have like 
expos and, and opportunities to network and pitch projects because I have a lot of projects I have. Um, so figuring out not only what size festival you want, the goal of what, how you want your film to be seen, who you want it to be seen by, what you as a filmmaker want to get out of the festival, um, and and basically, and also how much money you have to put into it yeah. <laughs> to get there. Yeah. That's the tough thing is getting there. Yeah. So what are you most proud of from this project? I'm sure there's a lot, but if you could like pinpoint maybe one or two things that you're most proud of from working on August in the city. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I'm really proud of. I'm, I'm really proud of the, that's hard. That's a hard question. I know. (laughs) I'm really proud of the outcome and the thing that was really special about August in the city is that Lisa just gave me the space to do my job. And there was no, there was no sense of, um, adding things for this purpose or adding things for that purpose or having to do things a certain way. It was, this is my vision and these are the things I need for my vision. And then she just stood back and said, do it. And that is something that I that I personally feel is really hard to come by because there's so many things, there's so many things that we're told we need to have in our films in order for them to, in order for us to succeed and them to succeed, whether it be name actors or you know this or that. Um, so it was really it was really special to not feel that pressure on this, and I and I'm really proud of the outcome, and I'm really proud of I, the acting. I mean, Daniela Master Pietro, who played August, I'm just so obsessed with her craft. She is just one of the most technical. She's a she was she's a very highly trained actor, um, and Mandala is more like a raw. She's she goes based on raw instinct, which really them together was really really magical. I'm really proud of the collaboration of us all working together and just creating something that we're so proud of. Yeah. That's awesome. I love your call out to the no pressure or you feel like you didn't have to follow the typical rules necessarily of the industry. At least you didn't feel the pressure to, I think there's a lot of parallels to even what we were having our, our conversation earlier about just living life and finding happiness. And when we can let that pressure go and when people trust us, when we trust ourselves and our vision, how the outcome is something that we can be proud of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you able, when you go to the movies, when you watch movies, are you able to watch them as you? Or do you slip into your into director you or another you? <laughs> I flip into totally empty me. Like I don't, mm. I, I don't like to know what the movie is about before I go there. Mm-hmm. I don't really like to know who's in it. I don't, I don't read reviews. I go in there and I just want to be like this empty yeah. shell of that just absorbs what the what the filmmaker wanted me to see and cool. wanted me to feel. Um, and I think that I think that uh, goes back to my my addiction to escapism. There's no better feeling than than truly understanding and tr- and and feeling what a what a director wants you to feel, and that's a powerful experience. And I and it's such such a shame that we that we don't go to movies as as often as we should. And when we do go to movies, we don't we don't often like check out the ones that are independent. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When we lived in when we lived in Milwaukee. 
I mean, I don't know if it's like a big one. I used to get the pack. Like I went to everything. I just, I love movies. We went to, they played Metropolis with a, a symphony that was in Milwaukee live. It was with, with its own original um, score. It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. It was so cool. What an incredible film. Oh my I gosh, I'm obsessed I with it. Mar- Marlena Dietrich's like one of her first silent films and the end the end of it was like lost Ugh. and so they had like text but they had a they had um an organ player there for it and I mean after that after, after that film was over I had to sit like that film was so powerful it was called Electric Cafe uh, Marlena Dietrich mm-hmm. and um who was incredible even though she broke Greta Garbo's heart um <laughs> I'm a huge Greta Garbo fan I I mean the credits started rolling and I I had gone with a friend and she was getting up and I was like no no we can't I <laughs> and I just like put my hand up like I ingest <laughs> this okay and it just I mean using the idea of using all your senses to 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 invoke that emotion and and I, I think it's just such an incredible thing that we can sit here and talk about, you know, talk about uh, Lubitsch, who's the, the director of Electric Cafe. And um, and th- this is what these people left behind. And they're still mm-hmm. affecting people to this day. And I think that that's something that's so powerful about films is, is that, you know, I watch Judy Garland like she's still alive. When I was a kid, my The Wizard of Oz was my parents say The Wizard of Oz was my uh, babysitter. They would just turn it on, and I had every outfit to every character, and I would just play, just on repeat. It, it would be done, oh I'd rewind God. it, and I'd play it again, and then I'd play it again, and then I'd play it again. <laughs> it's it's amazing to hear, like, your passion for what you do, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's there's so many people who are out there doing things, and they're, like, you are seeping the passion. You have such a love affair mm-hmm. with, with movies and with the process, and... Um, it is like, I'm just, I feel like I'm just sitting here just like soaking in your passion and it's just such a gift for the world to be able to have somebody and people who are that passionate that it just exudes them. And so I'm grateful that we are able to capture it here because it's really special. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate being here. That was so nice of you to say. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, I kind of have a, re- a weird question. If um, it's about like now that you have won awards and I know like there's more ahead of you and now that you're in this place, does it feel different? Do you feel different? And does it feel what you thought it would feel like? I, okay. Yeah, that is a big question. <laughs> I mean, I feel <laughs> Yes, I feel different. It's always it's always really humbling and wonderful when you win awards and and when people watch your work and they are somehow touched in a way that I feel watching other people's work. Mm-hmm. And that is just such a wonderful and special experience. And the journey that we've gone on with August in the City and us not just winning LGBTQ festivals but also winning um, winning you know all genre festivals um, it has has been so humbling. Um, so I don't feel from that perspective of things that I don't feel different from that perspective mm-hmm. of things, but me as a human, I absolutely feel different mm-hmm. because I feel like once you, oh, here we go. Once you find that true North, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Once you find that true north and once you find that thing that you're supposed to be doing, you are different than you were, but it's just out of happiness and out of gratitude. And the first thing that you should always just stop and and think about is, is gratitude for all the things that happened in your life to get you to where you were and all of the things that you have done to get yourself there or to achieve achieve the goals because that's really one foot in front of the other is really just living but so yeah i do i do 100% feel different but i feel different in the way that i'm i'm more myself than i ever have been mm. and more unapologetically myself yeah. um yes. which, which fortunately is is uh, i think quite a bit more pleasant than not being myself mm. i mean i think we all go through when you're not truly genuine um, or not genuine, but when you don't have that understanding of who you are or what you want, we can react in, in, uh, in unpleasant ways, not, not necessarily to other people, but to ourselves. And, and yes, that, that affects the people around you. Um, so there's definitely that, that change from just not being, feel, having this feeling of being lost in what to do next and then feeling like, oh yeah, duh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't I just do the thing that I talk passionately about? <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say too, it's, you know, because you are doing, I mean, you're making these films. Yes. Because, you know, we live in a society where we, you know, money is a thing and deciding to choose a certain lifestyle means that it requires a certain input. And for you to be doing it, doing the thing you love, I feel like you would be doing this whether you got awards or not. And so your ability to step into a, an arena from that space, I think innately gives you a little bit of an edge, even though you're not trying to have it be that way. I just think you do because you're willing to go out there and take those risks because you're doing it for you, because it's something that you want to create for you. And it's great if something comes out of it and even if it didn't, you, it would still be something that your soul was meant to create, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I, 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 there's just a little, a little secret uh, <laughs> is that it, it is 100%. Like, I am writing movies that I want to watch. And mm-hmm. I am writing movies for people who I want to work with. I never in a million years thought I would work with Sarah Kazemi. Yeah. And I can relate just even for this podcast, like Janelle and I only signed up for one season last year because we weren't sure if we were going to enjoy it or if what the fuck we were even doing. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) we're just like, oh, okay, let's try it. And we, I mean, I, I got so much out of the conversations that we had that I was like, it it, cha- it changed me and so I was like oh. we have to do this again and it's become I think you're exactly right it's the content that we want to be a part of and so yeah. no matter where this goes or what happens we're creating an experience for ourselves that is you know beyond what we we thought we could get and it's and we want to keep recreating it to be something that we're excited about and from that space I think people connect to that more than if we were trying to curate something to get a bunch of people to follow us like yeah and is that sustainable and is it you know really connecting people in a deeper level in the way that we want or is it just getting a bunch of likes and you know 
getting all the all this stuff without the substance. So I, I get that. Not uh, as big of a scale as you, but um, <laughs> for sure can feel it um, from a common humanity standpoint. Yeah. People definitely respond to being, other people being genuine. And you can go out there with the, with the intention of getting a million and a half likes. But at the end of the day, it's, they, they really only want to see like-minded people. And I'm, I'm specifically talking to social media, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. want to, they want to curate their own, their own experience and, and what they're listening to and what they're, what they're putting in their mind. Mm-hmm. My, my Instagram is a lot like a vision board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot of the quotes that I put on there are, are, some of them are really like cheering on, but a lot of them are like, this is how I'm feeling today and this is totally. how I need to check in myself totally and people respond to that more than anything that I have ever put up that I want to get likes for yeah and I think that that is an inspiring thing that is happening right now and hopefully it will continue to happen well as long as like you're out there doing that and we're out there doing it and again being that modeling for it can you can still make it and you can do big things and it doesn't have to only be hinging on this one definition of success, the more other people kind of, whether or not they jump on board as if one is better or worse, it's more so for people to like pause for a second and be like, huh, I wonder, you know, and then find their own way through from there. But at least they're not just like robotically (laughs) taking the steps. Or if they are, then, you know, maybe that works for them. But I, I agree with you. I feel like the the momentum is building a little bit on on a different way of approaching and utilizing these resources that we have that um, that have been used one way and have the capability of being used for, for other ways as well. There was a woman, her name is Valerie Alexander, and she wrote this book called How Women Can Succeed in the Workplace. And basically, she had this point... Um, where uh, it, it talking about how you reprogram your brain for where we are in society now and how easy it is. And she said it, she was talking about it on, on uh, the level of like human resources and hiring mm-hmm. um, and, and how there are people who are hiring other people who have expectations of what what kind of person or, or who the person is is going to walk in the door. And which is, which is, you know, something that we're really dealing with today with, with equal rights and things like that. And she said that what you do when someone walks in the door and they're not what you expect is you stop and you check in to what you're thinking and why you're thinking Mm -hmm. it. And then just say, wait, that thinking is incorrect. If I, what I should, how I should have felt or what I should have thought when this, when this experience came into my life was this other thing. And, and I thought that that, I took that point home with me and that really has changed a lot Mm -hmm. because I'm, you know, I'm walking down the street and I, you know, maybe I'm feeling one way and I stop and I say, well, how am I supposed to react to this? Obviously I'm not supposed to react in anger or in, in negativity. I'm supposed to react in positivity. So how can I spin this thing that I'm going through to rewire how I use it or how I utilize it or how I see it. And doing that daily, it just, it, it, uh, ultimately it becomes, um, a habit. 
mm-hmm. where your yeah. first instinct is to do that thing. And that's really how you change the way you view things. And I think that with with all the things going on in the world, all, all the things, the crazy things that are going on in our in our political system, all of the hate and all of the all of the um, you know all of the fighting and all of this 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 destructive rhetoric. If we all just stopped when it was about to happen and say, this is, this is where it needs to come from instead, I think we would all be much better human beings. Yes. I do live in Los Angeles. So we have, (laughs) we have a reputation for, for, for our meditation and all the other things. No, the slowing, the slowing down, like the, Mm -hmm. you know, just the, the magic that exists within the spaces between and what can happen there, like infant, infinite things can happen in that space and um we're just moving so so fast and constantly being stimulated that I don't even think sometimes we realize that oh yeah we can we can I can slow down right now and I have the ability to do that through my breath you know it's I'm in meditation teacher training right now so I am like oh awesome I am, we yeah. should talk more yeah, it's it is ama- it's amazing. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's like what the breath can do for our body. It is our unique vibration, and it has so much control over how we can honestly manipulate and control where we're at and what we want to then do. And then from there, that that habit changing through through a practice, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Um, we actually can change the neuroplasticity of our brain and our makeup. And now with, um, oh man, I'm forgetting the name of it, but um, epigenetics, like changing the actual physical makeup of our DNA, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I've read those books. Did you read um, Buddha's Brain, The Science Behind Happiness? No, but it's on my bookshelf. Oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's more, it's less on, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and I'm not taking traditional meditation lessons or anything. I just, mm-hmm. I have more of an interest in how it's interconnected with science. Yep. Um, and that book really, really satisfies it because it tells you, you know, when you have this feeling, this is the, this is the chemical reaction that's happening in your brain. And this is why that is happening. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of power in the fact that this small little thing that happens is what is controlling us. So yeah. what happens if we kind of like give in to, to, uh, to changing that those those synapses yep which is which which is kind of a powerful thought of it like if you think about it it's so powerful that we can we can be one way and then with with work and and practice and study that you can you can uh kind of relearn how you do things that are not necessarily the most pleasant part of uh the personality yeah have you yeah. seen heal the documentary no i should watch it yeah I, the reason i won't say too much but um what I love about it and what I love, what I'm noticing that I gravitate towards in terms of um, things that have a point of view to ponder, it's, I, I don't love it when things are like either or, and this does such a beautiful job of showing or speaking to there is a role for Western and Eastern um, medicine and practices and approaches. It's not that one is better or worse than the other they actually are supposed to integrate and work together because they serve different purposes. And so it just does a really beautiful job of acknowledging both. And then as a Westerner who's grown up with mostly that information, learning about what can happen when you do slow down, it's pretty simple stuff. And it takes a lot of trust. But the the shit that you can do because our bodies 
are actually 99.99% space. And, and so it, even though we see it as like form, because that's, you know, how we experience the world, it's actually, we are actually mostly space. And that's like wild to think about how that, what you can do then within a space, you like, there's so much that you can shift within, within that. And there's so many places you can go. And that totally flips it on its head and starts to get you, give you the space to, to think a little bit differently and be like, oh shit, what if I am actually mostly space? Now I can manipulate things a whole hell of a lot more than I thought that I could. So mm-hmm. yeah, check it out. It's pretty cool. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Where do I, where do I find it? Is it I think it's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Netflix. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll try to separate from Jane the Virgin for a night. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now I'm like, I have to like catch up on Jane the Virgin now too. Oh my God. kind of what fell out of it. it. What season are you on? I don't know. I I feel like I was caught up until this season maybe. I might, but I might be another you, season behind. Well, if you could sum up your true north in one word so far, how would you describe it? I would say gratitude. Oh, I like that. Yeah, me too. Literally everyone's is so different. It's I know, pretty I amazing. It. Yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> I love that I can never predict it too. I know. What did you think I was gonna say? No idea. I, I never know. <laughs> I, but I like I, I love that question because sometimes I'll think about that throughout the podcast, and I'm like, when I ask it, I'm like, do I even know? And I'm like, no idea. Like I'm never even close, which yeah. I love. Yeah. I think it speaks it's a really to. Great, it's a hard question. Mm-hmm. It is. It is especially in one word, but I think it just speaks to how. how you know, we definitely all have a lot of things in common in the human experience, but it also speaks to the fact that there's so many layers to us. And even and we've been having like an awesome conversation for almost two hours and, you know, you're never going to be able to predict what, what someone's true north is. Yeah. I, um, going into this season was really curious about how people, sustain or maintain their true north like you connect with yourself but then as a human we're always going to have those parts of ourselves that self-doubt and sometimes worse than that and and that 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 is a normal and how do you sustain it and gratitude to me does both you know that it gets you to a place of connecting with you and it it allows you to to come back to yourself through that practice too so you answered Absolutely. my question without even realizing it. <laughs> oh, yay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. And once, I mean, if you step back and think about your life with gratitude and the things that you have with gratitude, it's really, I mean, for me in L.A., it makes it easier for me to, I live in the valley, so it makes it easy for me to drive over the hill to go mm. to, you know, women in film events at, on yeah. a weeknight because then you're saying, wait, you know, what's the point of me flaking out on something when I have worked so hard to get here and I'm so thankful for the journey that I have the opportunity to be in in a room with a bunch of filmmaking professionals and these people are what are making my dream more and more real yeah um so why so why you know why wouldn't I uh feed into that gratitude yeah it's cool very cool well Christy if any Anyone that's listening wants to get a hold of you, ask you questions or advice or be able to learn a little bit more about you and your work, is there a good place that they can go to check it all out? 
Um, I, it depends on what they're looking for. I always send people to my Instagram because that is the mm-hmm. most indicative of who I am and what I stand for, um, and what inspires me. So you get to know me in a, in a, in a totally, um, uh, in a very tangible way through Instagram. But I, if I have a website that has, uh, it's com. if you dare try to spell it. <laughs> Um, and then, we'll have it in the show notes too. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. And I have, you know, I have some of my, I have some of my work up there. Um, and also, I have, I have work on Vimeo and on YouTube. And then the big thing is, I start hearing about uh, where Forever Not Maybe is going to go in uh, at the end of May and in June. So if if you see Forever Not Maybe coming to your town, please come yeah. buy a ticket and um, and watch and watch the movie with me and hopefully other people that are a part of that so were a cool. part of the project. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and so. let me know too, because I would drive down to LA for that oh if my there gosh, are opportunities. So, so let me know. Uh, See, I have I I have it submitted to festivals in various states, and I'm also kind of the big the big conversation right now uh, for independent filmmakers is uh, distribution. Um, so it's it's just a really interesting and scary and inspiring time all at mm-hmm. once. I'm really honestly thinking about uh, trying to contact um, uh, community centers like LGBTQ community centers in different towns and maybe ha- partnering the, up with them so the audience can come see them in their That'd town. Be really cool. That's- so, so, cool. uh, so I'll continue on. I'll continue on that that thought process because I think that's going to be uh, more rewarding um, than yeah. I love going to festivals. I'm such a I'm such a festival person, but it is truly rewarding to um, sit with your audience that you had intended to film for. Yeah, yeah, oh, amazing. You're up to such cool things. Oh, well, thank that. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know tells me every day (laughs) (laughs) well i appreciate you having me on here this has been so fun yeah yeah no thank you for taking the time like i said we just appreciate it too and seeing your energy and you know being able to see just bits and pieces of what you're up to and being like we should have a conversation with christy and that you are open to our invitation from Mm -hmm. two strangers so we we appreciate it Oh my gosh, that's how you make friends. Yeah. You yes, more friend making. Okay, so should we end, should we go out in a song since we said we were going to sing? Yeah, I think we should. What song should we sing? What song, what's the common denominator song between the I The song that came up for me was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. God, I'm good. Okay. Get it, Rachel. All right, Rachel, take a song. Get it, get it, get it. All right. Okay. Three, yeah. two, one. Someday, someday I, I wish upon a star, star. where trouble melts like lemon drops, and way up on the that's where singing competition anymore you're too good <laughs> oh thank you thank you thank you <laughs> i i feel i feel validation from people other than my father who <laughs> it makes it really convenient 
just every year for Christmas, I just say I, I record a song. So this past year, we went to for his retirement, we went to Nashville because um, we love Nashville and to the Patsy Cline Museum. So I sent him a Patsy Cline song for Christmas. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, well, we did not add to that, Christy. You should have just taken it away. I should know, have been seriously. a solo, but I could have like dropped a beat of like. <laughs> no, you could have just. Janelle, you yeah. could have just well, done the horn. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yes. Whenever I whenever you say that on the podcast, I always feel under so much pressure and I like forget how to make an air horn noise. It's just so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh my gosh. Every time. I'm trying to do vocal percussion, it just doesn't work, but it's okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, wait. You're the one that's belligerent on whiskey, right? Who, me? Yeah, I'm Italian. It's no fun. Oh, okay. Never. So I was going to say have a little whiskey. No, no. I can have anything else. I mean, I can have it. It's just if I get too far in, I'm just swearing like a sailor, and I really think that I can take on the world. It's just no fun. So. Well, that sounds like ideal. I would say <laughs> I think I'm so fun when I hear Disney and like for the same reasons that you just said. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we're gonna have a whiskey night and then just you can't oh, judge man. me. Oh my oh, gosh! I'm I'm but you're gonna hear all my grandpa's old war stories because that's also what happens when I drink whiskey. I'm like that's whiskey. <laughs> Let me tell you about World War Two. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I'm hell in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's weird. It happens every time. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. I love you. All okay. Right. Well, as we close up here from this beautiful musical melody, Christy, is there anything else you'd like to add before we, we say farewell? <laughs> anyone who knows me uh, that if you ask me to add anything we're going to be talking for another two hours <laughs> <laughs> alright just cut just cut <laughs> this has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast if you like what you heard leave us a review on iTunes please and if you want more from Rachel and I check us out at the True North Collective underscore on the gram otherwise we'll catch you on the flip side